Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we get started, are you thinking of creating a podcast or are you a podcast host already? As a podcast strategist, I can help you to launch or relaunch a purposeful and profitable podcast, which will inspire, entertain and educate a global audience. Simply book in a one-to-one call with me right now via the Calendly link in the show notes and together we'll focus on the purpose of your podcast. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Dr. Joanna Martin. Welcome. Thank you, Amy. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to our chat. And I'm very excited to have you on. And I just want to check, can I call you Dr. Joanna Martin every time or <laughs> shall I just call you Joe? <laughs> Joe would be perfect. Thank you. As long as it's not Joanne, it's the only version I don't answer to. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, I get that. I get all different versions. I've got three letters in my name. You would not believe how many different varieties I get. In fact, my, my shortening of name is longer, it's Ames. So <laughs> all good. So what is it you're doing at the moment, Joe? At the moment, I am steering at the helm of our organization, one of many. Uh, it is a leadership and coaching academy for women leaders, the sort of women who are not necessarily those with a CEO or a politician's sort of position after their names, but are just wanting to make a massive impact in their corner of the world. And they want to do it without burning out. So that's what we do. And this mission that you have, or this whole organization that you've created, you said it's to stop people from burning out. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's in part. Um, from my point of view, well, it kind of all started, I think, when I uh, had my son, James. So he was about six weeks old at the time. And I remember I was sitting in a darkened room breastfeeding him, you know, when the days blur into the nights and the nights blur into the days. And uh, for any woman who has had a child, you also met with this incredible creative uprush but with absolutely zero time to do anything about it because you've got this small human hanging off your breast half the time. So I was sort of in this place where I was having such insights and thoughts about things that had been confronting me and challenging me in the world for a long time, but of course, no time to do anything about it. And this one particular time I found myself um, uh, ruminating on a quote that's bandied around a lot in women's spaces from the Dalai Lama who said at the Vancouver Peace Summit in 2009 that the world will be saved by the Western woman. Now, I'm not the Dalai Lama. I don't think he necessarily means only Western women. I think he means women of resource. And back at that time, I was thinking about this as I was feeding James. And for the first time, it dawned on me that I think he was talking about not necessarily like the Kamala Harris's and the whoever else of the world. I think he's talking about me, you know, and and my neighbor and my sister and my mom and my aunt and and we women who care you know people who care who want to make an impact in our corner of the world and perhaps if enough of these corners met up eventually we might actually shift the whole world and so i was really inspired to support those what i call grassroots women leaders and then as I looked around at most of them, I thought 
they're not going to be changing anything. They're tearing around like headless chickens. We were all tearing around like headless chickens because still women are largely the ones who have to juggle the most, you know. Um, we're still the ones who are buying the birthday presents, organizing the Christmas get-togethers and, you know, making sure that childcare is handled, um, if, you know, even if we're not parents sometimes. Um, so we're, we're naturally the ones that are handling a lot more of that non-paid work as well. So I saw that if, well, on the one hand, I saw that women were the key and I believe really are the key to unlocking most of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, even the ones not related to gender parity. You know, I think we are key to unlocking climate change, key to unlocking the end of hunger. Um, but we're not going to be able to be that key whilst we're still juggling 100,000 things to the point of burnout. So that's how One of Many was born with this kind of mission, if you like, to support those grassroots women, women's leaders handling the juggle so that they can step up into that calling that they feel that they can make, no matter how big or small their, um, you know, impact feels. Now, this moment that you said you had in this darkened room, feeding James when he was six weeks old and you're having all these insights and thoughts was that the first time that this came to your mind or was it just because you had a moment to pause? No, I'd known for some time prior to that that there was something calling me into working with women specifically. I'd, um, I mean, I started my working life as a medical doctor before heading off to drama school and then ending up doing coaching and training. So it was a bit of a roundabout way of ending up in the coaching and training sphere. Um, and I had had a successful um, coaching training business up until that point, but more and more, I was feeling called into the women's space. So I was testing out some business programs for women exclusively and just kind of creating women exclusive spaces. But it with that moment with James, what became, what I was really present to was if we were going to, if I was going to support women, it wasn't enough just to make a women's only space and to keep talking the very masculine paradigm, personal development, leadership development, entrepreneurialism stuff that is out there in the world coming from assumptions of what, you know, the masculine paradigm dictates to us or, or kind of encourages, encourages us to be. We needed to have a, an entirely different conversation because we are met with these incredibly competing priorities, most of which aren't our innate truth as women. Most of them are things that we have pulled on in response to the to the culture that we grew up in, whether that be our national culture, our subculture, our, you know, family culture. So I'd be, I knew that there was something there for me to support women, but that was the moment where I thought, huh, women are the key to unlocking the solutions. I saw that like really powerfully. I felt it, I guess, in my guts. I just instinctively knew it and then I saw that my role in it or at least what became one of many's role in it was not necessarily in you know making the changes happen it was supporting the whole woman change maker and appreciating the competing priorities that she is faced with on a daily basis that she wants to make the world a better place, but most women just don't have the freaking time. We don't have time because we're marching to the beat of an unconscious drum, if you like, that we've never really um, analysed to see if it is the truth of who we are at the core. 
And that element of who we are at the core and and truth, they're, they're big parts. Oh, definitely. Definitely. We... One of the um, one of the things we sort of unpack with women when they come and join our our program, so our flagship program, if you like, is called Lead the Change, which is a twelve month um, deep dive journey into all these aspects of leadership, combined with, I guess, a, an entire life audit for the woman who's going through it, um, handling all of those other parts of our life. And one of the things that um, becomes really clear is that as we go through and we look at our values, as we go through and look at purpose and and unpack what our life purpose is, as we go through and look at our values in all areas of our life, as we go through and look at the belief systems that we're taking into our lives, most of it is unconscious. It's it's stuff that we have gathered from well-meaning parents, from a society that tells us if you want to be of value, you must be the most successful at whatever it is, you know, insert here, mother, most successful HR manager, most successful CEO, you know, whatever it is. That's what our society tells us is to be of value. You must make the most money. And, and so therefore, a young girl growing up in this kind of, you know, system starts especially for intelligent, capable women that tend to come into our community, setting goals to be the best, to be the most successful, whether that be mother, HR manager, whatever it is, right? Um, and But those goals are coming from a headspace wanting to fit in with what our society tells us is what is going to make us happy and feel fulfilled. One of the first things that women who step inside of the one of many paradigm kind of discover is We've been sold a bit of a lie, really. Do you know? Uh, clearly, anyone who's spent much time thinking about happiness has discovered that those things are not necessarily the path to happiness. But what we haven't necessarily looked at is well, what is it that is going to bring me the most fulfillment? What is it that my, I, I have this great belief that every single one of us chose to be here on this planet at this time. That's just my belief. It's not the truth. It's not something we, you know, say that you have to believe. It's my personal belief. And so from that place, I get really curious and I encourage women to get curious around this. Why? Why did you choose to be here? For what purpose? What is it that your soul wants to experience in the world, express in the world, and perhaps even change in the world? What, what's your light that you're here, here to shine? And that has to start, I think, with challenging who we think we are is usually not who we are when we turn inwards and do that inner work of discovery, you know? And when do you remember the first elements of really wanting to discover meaning and purpose for your own life? <laughs> I remember it so clearly. I wouldn't have been able to answer this question at that moment, but I, you know, when you connect your dots looking back, I remember I was about 17 years old. I was still at school it was summertime and I grew up in Tasmania and it was on the Hobart waterfront down at Sandy Bay and I was walking along Marival Esplanade is the name of the street past the Yacht Club and it was a very balmy night. Now, yes, I'm from Australia, but Tasmania is not a part of Australia that is balmy. It's more, the temperature is more like England, um, but this was, so it was an unseasonably warm evening and I remember I was wearing my Levers jumper. I'd just left school my denim cut off shorts, and I could smell the sea salt and I was hearing that tink, tink, tink of the stays on the masts. And at that point, I was looking down the barrel of heading off to med school 
because I was smart enough, you know, I had the grades. And ever since I'd been six years old, I'd been telling everybody who would listen that I wanted to be a pediatrician just because when I found out what that was, it sounded noble. Not that at the age of six, I could have told you what noble meant, but you know, <laughs> um, so I'd always been saying, oh, I was going to be a pediatrician and that I was on that path. But that night as I was walking along, I was like, there's something more for me. Oh, and, and I got this real sense of there's a big world out there. Like up until that point, I had, I'd left Australia once I'd gone on a family holiday to Bali with my parents, but and I'd had a, had a similar kind of feeling of more. But that day, that night, I went, there's something much more that I'm supposed to be stepping into and I didn't know what it was. Um, and so I made the decision that evening to have a gap year and to I came over to the UK. And when I first flew into Heathrow, I remember looking out the window and having more of a sense of homecoming than I ever had where I grew up in, in Australia. I was like, wow, well, certainly part of it's got to do with the UK and, and I don't know what more that is. So it was that I couldn't have told you that my purpose was what I now know it is, which is to host and create connections for wholeness in the world. You know, I really know that and feel that in my soul. Could I have told you that back then? No, but that was the moment where I dared to challenge my status quo of, of what you know, of all the unconscious decisions that had had been made was that night. And I'm curious to, to understand how you remember all the other things around you that night, what you're wearing, what the smells were, what the weather was like, what you could, you know, you talked about literally everything around you. <laughs> yeah. You, I don't know. I don't know if it's just me, but when I have significant events, like turning point moments in my life, things get heightened. I have this experience that I am much more in my sensory body. I remember even like just last year, Greg and I had a profound shift in our, in our relationship and we were going away in the caravan and we arrived at this caravan park and there was a couple, like we, we were getting out of the car and Rosie came around and said, oh, um, Amelia's here. And, and we said, well, what, what do you mean? She said, from the last caravan park. And there was this family who had randomly been at exactly the same caravan park as us a month ago. And there were all of those little synchronous moments. And I just went, oh, there's something afoot this weekend, do you know? And sure enough, things unfolded and, and, and we went through this significant up level. So I feel like those moments, the way I interpret it in my, for myself is, when the you know, when the hand of God or when the universe is nudging me up a level or nudging me across somewhere or wanting to pull a veil away, it's like my senses get heightened and um, and I feel like there's this um, uh, I don't know. I feel more in my body and I therefore my sense memory gets more profound. But also I feel this. Uh, otherworldly, not actually sensory thing. Intuition starts moving through in some way. So yeah, most moments where I'm having these pivots or, or what have you, I, I do. I remember it really vividly. I can see them seared in my memory. I'm just curious because you said you didn't know at the moment that, that was a moment and yet your body remembered all of those things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't have, I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you oh, you know, wow, I'm having a moment where I'm connecting with my deep soul purpose for the very first time. You know, I couldn't have told you that, but 
I remember every second of it. You know, I remember every nerve ending tantalization of it. You know, it was, it was really profound. And that ha- it does, it happens not infrequently to me. I get, I get, everything gets a little expansive. My senses kind of reach out into the world and I go, Ooh, now, now I know, you know, I know what's happening. It's like, okay, pay attention. There's something about to happen or whatever you're thinking right now, there's something evolving. You describe it as deep soul purpose. And then earlier you're talking about purpose, life purpose. Do you see them as different levels and sort of different energies that come with it? Um, Yes and no. So when I think about purpose, I feel like I, I know, let me put it straight, I know in my guts that my soul has a very clearly defined purpose for being here. Can I necessarily articulate that in its entirety right now? No, and I don't think I will until after I die probably. In retrospect, I'll go, "Ah, there you go, that was it. Having said that, do I work consciously with what visibility I have on my own life purpose at any given period of time? Absolutely, I do. Do you know? Um, Ever since I first was taught the concept of, of purpose, and I defined it for myself as back then to inspire. You know, that's all I had right then, to, to inspire, okay? I'm a pretty inspiring person. Yes, let me inspire. I've been through multiple iterations of it since then. I go inwards. I do work. I feel what I'm called to. I do meditation and I kind of feel what the – I always think it's like a theme that makes sense of all of the life that you can see up to that point. So in my case, the older I get, the more specific it gets, the more I feel like I'm going through these outer, more general layers, getting down to a a more and more um, closer to that sole purpose definition. Um, so, yeah, for me, I actively work with my purpose. And I would say every two to three years, I get another, what's the word, like, I see another facet of the diamond, if you like, or another layer of it's kind of burned up and I see underneath the underneath layer more clearly. And I hope that continues, you know. So it's really interesting. So I have many people on the show who have articulated their purpose and yet still, as you said just now, it's hard to really articulate it in words. It's just that feeling. It's a gut feeling of Mm -hmm. this is the right journey for me right now a lot of people struggle and they say I've got to find my purpose and it drives me crazy because it's like it's not a thing that you find Mm. it's a it's a thing you work with what is your way of or create how do you describe the the pursuit of purpose yeah yeah I'm (laughs) very similarly I say it's not something you wander out into your garden and you know you look behind a stone and then you hear this here your purpose you know it never happened well for some, no, some people do have it like a big spiritual wake up but that's like what 0.05 percent of people who find their purpose get it in that way for most people it's like a a labeling of an instinct it's a labeling of a we use words which are notoriously rubbish for summing up ethereal things to label a a a a, a, a in my case, a very physical pull, you know, um, and and for me, I, I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. It's it's something that we work with. I've I know the direction, and I can feel when I'm on path, and I can feel when I'm off path. 
the way I work with it every day is when I'm faced with a challenge or I'm faced with an opportunity, I'll ask myself, okay, how can I bring ever more of my ability to host, which is a big part of it, like hosting, um, and create connections for wholeness? You know, they're the two aspects that I'm playing with the most currently in my current visibility of what I see. So, um, you know, that they might be whole, a creation, creating connections for wholeness inside myself, you know, dealing with my own inner stuff, doing my deep shadow work, the chapter of life that I'm in at the moment. It might be creating connections between people, making introductions. It might be creating connections between groups of people to be able to see things from different perspectives, you know. So there's um, the, the giving it of a label allows me in any given moment to go, how can I bring the most of me to this rather than being a version of myself that I think the people around me want to see. So that's the, the benefit that I think having a label for what you can see uh, helps with. For navigation, like do, do I use my label? Not so much. That's an in-the-moment, you know, tool. For navigation, it's more just an instinct. It's like is this is this it is, or is this not it? And you just get, I, for me, I get a physical feeling in my body of, I can breathe more deeply if it's on path. And, and if not, I tend to get a wrinkled brow. <laughs> so this sort of push-pull that you're working with and putting aside societal's expectations of what, what they expect of you, but also working towards saving the world in a way that you described it earlier and bringing together all these women of resource, what surprised you along the journey that you've been on? What surprised me? God, I think I'm surprised every day. Um, so I think I there are, there are two things that continue to surprise me in terms of working with my purpose and supporting women to do the same. The first is I am continually surprised by just how rubbish human beings can be. When I look at you know, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, when I look at some of the causes that we want to make a difference in, I am perpetually surprised at how some people in power make really rubbish choices that have a negative impact on vast sways of humanity and our planet. That, you know, the, the little naive optimist inside me looks at that and is continually surprised that that can be so. I'm equally surprised when we, and I guess I can only speak for myself, when I tune ever more deeply into what I feel I'm called to, to support women that want to shift things in this case, you know, just how supported I am at a very deep and universal level. I'm really, I mean, miracles happen in my life. At the moment, I would say on an every other day basis, I have something where I go, holy crap, there's another answer to a prayer, almost that I didn't know I'd uttered. But when you're working and I, and I do, I work very consciously in partnership with what I call source. You know, my only prayer really that I ever have is, you know, how can I serve? What else have you got for me? And please, can you take care of me and my family at the same time? Do you know, like it's really, it's really very simple. Um, and in doing that, the, the, I'm noticing for myself and a lot of the 
the women that I mentor, those that I coach one-on-one, those that are in masterminds that I run, the women in Lead to the Change, a lot of the women who are very switched on and tuned in like this, I'm hearing are having a very similar experience where the lows are feeling exquisitely low at the moment and the highs are feeling miraculous and it feels like the speed of that roller coaster of going up and down is feels like it's ever increasing. It's a theme I'm hearing a lot with people who are what I would shorthand as light workers or change makers, people that want to positively impact the world. Not everybody, but a lot of them are having that experience. And I've noticed in my own life getting to this point of just being able to be peaceful, like you can have a miracle and just go, great, be peaceful and have something awful like a rug pulled out from under you moment and and be peaceful with it. I'm experiencing that quite in a, in a physically embodied way at a level I've never felt it before and I'm hearing it a lot from women in our community. So I think, yeah, what surprised me, what surprises me, that massive um, tension between how much icky there can be but also how profoundly we are supported and all I can hope is that it is all for some grand, you know, not even global but universal purpose that we're heading towards uh, right now and that's perhaps why things are feeling so clunky at a systemic level, do you know, like we look around at politics, we look around at, um, you know, at, at countries and war and and you know I'm I'm a on the I'm co-chair of the hunger project here in the UK and you know look at the state of hunger and how things are getting worse not better and part of me is like oh you know I I but then when I look at how much amazingness is also happening it feels to me that maybe we are at this tipping point and I don't know how long that point or this moment will last I mean maybe we're in a moment that is five years long or maybe we're in a moment that's a hundred years long I've got no idea but there feels like something's accelerating it's a very long answer to a short question (laughs) (laughs) well well, you mentioned it's about the chapter of life you're at you're in at the moment and I'm wondering whether that is part of what of your journey of purpose and fulfillment that you it is involving embracing difficulties and adversities and also experiencing great joys and I think it may not be just this moment in time that we are sitting and talking in this happens all the time this is a constant mm. and you know we think that things were better before or or well, are getting worse now but actually it's just constantly evolving Mm -hmm. It could just be that we're more present to what is happening beyond our sphere than as as a species we've ever been able to be in the past because we're so connected from a, you know, from a a media, a social media kind of perspective. Um, Yeah, I I expect that that's, that's the piece that is feeling so overwhelming for a lot of people at the moment is it's not just that we're dealing with our own personal stuff there's a part of us, and especially for those of us who are particularly empathic, where we're collectively dealing with a lot of big stuff at the same time that in the past we might never have seen in the vivid detail that we do now. You know, even just 20 years ago, it would have just been in newspapers and, you know, on the TV and only if you turned it on. But now we're so connected with this never being far away from a device and social media. And I think we do feel things and they impact us deeply um whether we whether we are present to the impact or not do you know I think a lot of us 
um, sit with it and can let the emotions through and process as we go. But some people, I think we cut off and we're feeling very distant from our fellow, you know, humans um, because of this visibility of such, you know, challenge that we see. So we see it so clearly that I think as a defense mechanism, we do tend to numb a little bit. And I think it's something we need to be aware of because if we want to sincerely make a difference in any corner of the world on any um, uh, cause that we, that we, that we want to impact, we have to be able to be empathic. We have to be able to care. And if we, if we tune ourselves out from caring because of sensory overload from a, um, you know, from the media perspective, then our greatest uh, muscle for making a difference um, isn't active. It can't be activated. So I think we have to be really careful of that. It brings together for me a couple of different philosophies. One is sort of Adlerian psychology that all problems are interrelation problems. And then there's also uh, Byron Katie, who does Loving What Is, talks about you, if you are living in somebody else's business, then you're not focusing on what on your own body and your own thoughts and things. And, and there, there's the world's business, your business and other people's business. And most of the issues that we find are because we are not living our own lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think Oftentimes what we get visibility on, what we see in our outer world is causing us to reflect. It causes us feelings. We, we have a response to it because it is triggering something internally that at some level needs, needs healing or needs processing, needs making sense of. Either that or it's speaking to that sole purpose of here's your marching orders. This is your this is your thing to do something about, you know, sometimes I think, I think it's because there's some healing to do. Sometimes I think because there's marching orders and often it's a blend of both. You can't fulfill on your marching orders until you, uh, until you, um, are able to be okay emotionally with what is, do you know, there's, I think otherwise you can't do it sustainably. And that's something we see a lot with our, with our, um, women. I'm thinking specifically, there's a number of women who come into the one of many community who are very driven and motivated by climate change and wanting to, um, you know, solve, stop, cease, you know, heal the climate crisis in some way, shape or form. And the in the face of something which is becoming ever more obvious and feeling so small in comparison to that, that can they're consistently needing to to heal themselves. Otherwise, they're coming from their, what I would call warrioress energy, sacrificing for the cause, burning themselves out and never stopping doing the work um, because it feels critical and urgent and important. And it is. Um, and, and I think that's something we have to really learn to be with is we are then also a soul in a human body and a human body has very human needs for rest uh, the ability to unplug, to be peaceful no matter what is going on in the world or we cannot sustain, you know, and that's one of the drums we continue to beat for our community at one of many is if you're not sustainable, then we can't create a sustainable planet, we can't create sustainable, you know, corporations, we can't create sustainable anything if we can't, if our leaders, these women who we want to kind of make that difference and make that shift, if they are not energetically sustainable at a very basic level ourselves. And it's interesting that the three chapters that have brought you to where you are first dealt with the, the physical body and the physical way in, in being a doctor and then moving into performance and how we can work with what we have and then moving into the emotional side in the coaching and training. It's, it's really interesting how those different areas have been brought together for you. 
Yeah, yeah. Again, no, not something. I mean, certainly what I now do for a living was not present at careers day, right? They didn't discuss, I didn't even know this industry existed. Um, but in retrospect, it makes perfect sense. I think at some level, I've always been a healer. That's why I went into medicine. My pharmacist, my, my parents were both pharmacists. My, my grandmother was a, was a nurse. So medicine is our culturally appropriate healing modality. Um, although I do remember a, a pathology teacher of mine, Rob Kelsall, um, I don't know why we were talking about, but again, is one of those little heightened moments, right? I do remember viv very vividly him asking me, if you weren't going to be a doctor, what do you think you'd be? And I don't know where it came from, but I said, I think I would have made a really good shaman. And so I didn't really know anything about shamanism or anything like that at the time. I had nothing, but just this sense of I really care about people being better, but I didn't really like pharmaceutical, you know, our current approach. Um, so, but he healing and, and getting people to okay has always been important to me. I think drama school was, was a, was a kind of sidestep into okay for me, like, cause medicine was all about helping people and that was how you would heal people. Um, but the, the step into drama school was, but what makes me happy? What makes my heart sing? What am I really great at? What would I be really sad to have not have explored? And 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 it was it was um, it was drama, specifically directing. It was more directing than acting. Interestingly, where my where my heart was called. But it was whilst I and the drama school I chose was the segue point because I chose Actors Centre Australia, which was founded by an awesome guy called Dean Carey, um, and uh, we had a class at school called life coaching. And that's where I got introduced to this whole philosophy that you can be a better human, you know, and I was starting to learn names for things I'd naturally been doing ever since I was a kid, you know, with sisters, with friends, with, with what have you, creating connections for wholeness, you know, what I've been doing my whole life, but now there were some frameworks and methodologies around it. So it was, um, of course, in each chapter, I gather skills and I gather, um, you know, uh, pieces which make the next chapter easier to execute on. Uh, but all of it, I think, has been, you know, just gradually getting me to, to the point where I am now doing what I'm doing. So this wholeness jigsaw that you're building, how many pieces have you got left? <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice to know? Jeez, I tell you what, I'll be really honest with you, my human self would be really happy if I were done now. If I didn't have to go through another major upheavaly soul searchy thing, I mean that'd be lovely. Knowing the way I grow, who knows? Um, uh, it could be that this chapter is is it now for me for the rest of my life. It does feel very resonant. Um, you know, uh, Greg and I, my husband Greg and I, we've talked often, and I talk with the team like if if the bottom fell out of one of many for whatever reason, I'd probably end up building the same thing over again, just perhaps with a bit more simplicity um, the first time around rather than having to, you know, decomplicate things. Um, but it would effectively look the same as it looks, which tells me that I'm still very much in this chapter. Um, I have, uh, I have, 
I have brought back into my into my sphere a little bit more of my business coaching and business masterminding from back in the day. Um, just recently, that was a bit of a, a summer insight for me um, because I just love working really closely with um, with business leaders. So I've, uh, that's more of a passion project of um, you know something fun, if you like a business hobby, if you like, that's going alongside one of many. So that's a, a personal a personal piece, a joy piece. Um, but I feel very centred in this chapter. And I, I do hear from people a lot, you know, well, what about the men? What about the men? And you know what? Yes, men need um, support and uh, community to navigate this incredibly um, uh, challenging moment that I think we face. And that's not my calling. That's right now. Can can I imagine down the road that yes, when the pendulum swings back and we've had just as much opportunity as our male counterparts and privilege uh, based on gender is not a thing anymore, that I'm will be happily supporting both um well both, you know, the entire spectrum of genders. Yeah, of course. Is that where my calling is right now? No, it's still very, very much I I, I feel I have a vision, a vision for the world that Parity and leadership is done. Do you know? There are just as many female politicians as male politicians. That there are, well, you know, great, let, let, to put it more accurately, great diversity in terms of um, gender identification in politics, great diversity in terms of gender identification in leading corporations, on boards, in parishes, in, you know, in all major places where policy is created or community is steered that we're just there at the table in the same in the same proportions as we exist in the world and i believe if we've achieved that it, that is not for me the 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 goal to work towards if you like that's the marker that the work's been done in order to do that one of the things i say is women are fit for leadership but i don't think leadership is fit for women and and I think in order to achieve that, we actually need to change the way that we lead. We need to change the systems and the structures um, of these ways that we organise ourselves to be friendlier to, um, you know, to, uh, to experiences beyond the white male, uh, you know, I've got a support at home version. Um, so for me, that's that's very firmly the chapter I'm centered in at the moment. And, and it feels from where I sit right now that this is the work of the rest of a lifetime, but I know way too much then to, <laughs> to predict uh, what, you know, the world has in store. Anything could, anything could happen. Yeah. And when you're talking about the earlier about the challenges that we have as women being the, the juggling of all handling the juggle, you said. And it's interesting. I was lis listening to or I saw something on social media the other day and it was a child who had written a piece about who, who, who do you want to grow up? What do you want to do when you grow up? And they said they wanted to be a smartphone because their parents love their smartphone more than them. Oh, my God. So this is so interesting because you said, who can I serve, but at the same time, take care of my family? And I, this is this is the, the dynamic that we're facing as as women leaders is that we need to be present. We need to help bigger picture here, but we still need to remember, you know, our immediate environment. Yeah. Oh, I, it's mission critical. Do you know? I think 
our the next generation, whether we're mothers or not, I don't think you need to be a biological mother to feel that call of what I would call mother power type. The next generation, it's mission critical. This, the, you know, I think it's Brené Brown who said, show me a generation of, of children who are loved growing up knowing that they're loved and that they belong. I feel that has to be, in terms of the long-term shift that we want to see, that is the shift. That is that is the one shift. Creating a an entire race of people who know that they are loved and that they belong that they belong no matter what. Will that will dissolve half of the problems? So yes, on the one level, I feel like that is the most critical thing that all of us can do is tap into that part of us that can be unconditionally loving and unconditionally accepting um, uh, of our you know members of our immediate family, but even beyond that. We do have to take care of that. We also have to take care of ourselves, like have that for ourselves and know that we are worthy of the rest, worthy of the downtime, worthy of the, you know, the going on retreat to a cabin in the woods by ourselves for a night, if that's what, whatever it is to keep us sustainable, that has to happen. But unless we're also taking that capacity to the board tables, to the, you know, to the executive decision-making to you know the 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 community leadership the the halls of Westminster or the White House or whatever it is, then we won't shift the structures that need to shift for it to then sustain on an ongoing basis. So it has to be both. It it, it has to be both, and that I think is is the bit that women need support with right now, because I do believe we're still in the time of what I call pioneering women. I think the women in our Lead the Change program um, uh, are pioneers. They feel it in their bones. They know they're there to change their corner of the world in some way, shape or form. They also feel this competing priority, but they, while they can't see how they can do both, they feel the possibility of it without turning into superwoman and they want to explore it. And that's what we're doing together at One of Many. We're exploring what being it all, serving in a bigger way looks like um, without within the structures as they exist currently, pioneering. And if we can hold onto our places of leadership, not because we're playing the game the way that wants to be played, but because we can sustainably show up and continue to be our true and authentic selves, and then our voices are heard from truth and from authenticity, we will, we will change those, you know, whether they be corporate structures, parental leave policies, um, you know, uh, political reforms, our voices will be heard because we're there in the right places because we took care of sustaining ourselves to get there. And right now we need spaces that get the burden, that double burden um, uh, well and have tools for dealing with it, which is, you know, how why I keep showing up and serving the way I do every day because what we do <laughs> and thank you so much for doing so we really really are very grateful for the work that you do joe how could people get in contact with you what's the best way for them to reach out well if you're interested in being a part of the community the best thing you could go, do is go to oneofmany.co.uk um and there's a tab there that says get started and you can come join the free community and um and get connected there's a facebook group that that'll take you through to and that's a really lovely place to get ensconced in um, the introduction to what we do. And of course, I'm on both the company, one of many, and I am on all the socials. So I'm usually Dr. Joanna Martin is my handle. And one of many women is, um, is for, uh, for the organization. Be lovely to get connected with your people.
And it is a .co.uk address. However, your organisation is global. People yes, that's are, are right. coming from all over the space. So just want to make that clear because the podcast is going out to so many countries, 118 last time I counted. So, oh my gosh, yeah. how wonderful. Yeah, no, we've got certified coaches now in 18 countries around the world, um, certified trainers in about six. So uh, it is absolutely global. We've got members from all over the place. Perfect. Joe. thank you for bringing your truth, your authenticity, your incredible insights into how you are building this program, building this world and and bringing together all these incredible women of resource. It is really amazing. So thank you. And I'd love to have your final words for the audience, please. Ah, final words, the great summing up moment that you always forget is coming. Today, what I'm most present to is kindness. I think if that, if there was a bottom line today for me, it would be kindness. I think what we need as an indefatigable resource at the moment is the ability to be kind to ourselves because it's tough at the moment and to be kind to others. I think if we could start there, gosh, we could go a really, really long way. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.